Welcome, welcome, welcome to Clatter Chatter on Things That Matter, the podcast that is intellectually engaging, theologically reflecting, encouraging, sociologically imagining ways in which we can live. Thank you for spending this short amount of time with us. We promise you that you will not regret a moment of it. Shout out to Trevor Smith and B.J. Herbert for commissioning this fantastic music to get our minds going on things eternal, positive, and fulfilling life's purposes. Dr. Hayes. It has been a year and a half since the Supreme Court reversal of Roe v. Wade overturning the constitutional right to abortion. And since then, at least 21 states have either banned or restricted abortion access, leaving expectant mothers with difficult and sometimes harrowing decisions about medical emergencies. In a new episode of ABC News Studios, Impact by Nightline, ABC senior congressional correspondent Rachel Scott looks at the state of care right now. Here's a preview. A room full of women with searing stories of trying to get medical care, but state laws have tied their doctor's hands. The stories will break your heart. Risk for blood clots, infections. Every single one of my son's organs were growing outside of his body. Torture. That is no. torture. That That's is monstrous. Torture. Missing the skull. Women and doctors sounding the alarm that something has to change. Is 25% chance of death, is that, is that enough? Does she have to have a 75% chance of death. Who gets to decide? You're not fatal enough you're, or, you're, or you're not sick enough. It's like, in what world are we living in right now? Many of their husbands also felt the urgent need to be here, calling on men across the country to join in protecting pregnant women fighting to live. Can things change without the support of men? No, no, no. Imagine if this continue to keep going and we don't step up as men, it's gonna be a lot of casualties. A lot of women gonna die. A lot of us feel like the protectors of the family. And then now we have outside sources telling us how to be fathers. It's not only a girl's dream to have a child. It's, it's also our dream. It affects the whole family. It does. Rachel yeah. Scott is here with us, and you have been covering this every step of the way before Roe v. Wade was overturned, when and after. What are you hearing from these women now? You know, when I first started covering this issue, doctors warned that women would be hurt and that maybe these exceptions don't account for the woman's health. And so we started hearing the stories of maybe just one woman. And the longer that Diane and I reported on this, the more women that we found that ended up in this very same scenario. But I think it's important to note here that the ripple effects are extremely far reaching. Doctors are leaving these states now. They've seen a drop in OBGYN applicants in these states with restrictive abortion bans. So the impact on the healthcare system as a whole is extremely far reaching. So what surprised you most about your conversation with these 18 women? Just how much this story impacts them. How much so many of them felt like 
they could get access to the care that they needed. Kate Cox, this 31-year-old woman who challenged the state of Texas for this emergency abortion, it was never even a thought in her head that she could, she could not get access to that medical emergency. Her uterus was at risk of rupturing. She had been to the emergency room four times in just the last month alone. She was shocked that when she went okay, to the Okay, Dr. Hayes, I just wanted to um, share this story for a whole lot of reasons, uh, part and parcel, because I just still find it naturally appalling that here we are in 2023, and here we are um, as a nation, or maybe around the globe, for those who celebrate um, as December 25th, the birth of an immaculate conception. And we know the nuances of what it meant for Mary's virginity to be protected as she was betrothed to Joseph, the guardian of her uterus, according to the story, because, you know, she was relegated to the... Um, the church by her parents, Joachim and Hannah, uh, who were so excited to have a child. And so by the age of three, uh, Jesus' mama was given to the temple. That's a whole nother story. It talks about also the, the, uh, how, how girl children around the globe are pretty much dispensable, disposable. It's still that same sort of ethos today, but we've spent a whole doctrine and, and I, I shudder to think that I, I don't even like to talk about Mary being a teenager because then that sets up God to be a pedophile. And I'm just saying that because it doesn't make any sense, right? She's underage, and yet she finds herself immaculately conceived. And so the story becomes kind of interesting in a lot of ways. But nonetheless, it's a story, and, and it talks about a birth uh, of one who is so important in history that we're still telling this story. Now, I bring it to the fact that if Mary were pregnant today, she would not have prenatal care accessible to her, number one, because she's a woman of color, and we know infant mortality uh, impacts uh, women of color, particularly black women. There was just a study that came out uh, just a couple of days ago, and the state of Kansas ranks like number three the state of Kansas, in, in infant mortality rates. Um, but I find it interesting, Dr. Hayes, that somehow folks have to think that your body is to be played around with and politicized. Your body, your DNA, your, your, your anatomy. I mean, is there any different than somebody saying because I might flip the bird, they're going to cut my finger off because I'm going around sticking to my middle finger? That's still part of my anatomy. But why is it that the internal organs, the ovaries and the uterus, can be politicized in such a way that even Mary, who gave birth to this this spiritual being that we embodied the flesh, the incarnation of Jesus, would probably be in line with a Kate Cox based on social norms and mores at the time because here she was without a husband, <laughs> single, pregnant, and was supposed to be given to the church. 
All right, Dr. Hayes, come on, talk. But I, I, I'm struggling a lot because of patriarchy. How dare anybody? Well, yeah, we should we should be concerned and there should be a theological struggle because the the, the reason for all of this is bad religion. And bad religion has been captured by bad politics. And so you have a, a bad product, a bad result. Somewhere you got to find out where the truth starts. And um, in that ancient culture, young people came of age after 12. So the fact that Mary was 16 did not um, mean that, that she was to be considered a minor. For all intents and purposes, she was a woman, i.e. she had the capacity to bear children. But I think today, the situation in hand is deeper than it appears to be. You and I both know uh, that, it, that it is the result of anti-women in the world, in leadership, in the workforce. Um, the men who make these rules or bring up all of this are really um, wanting to send women back home, keep them barefoot and pregnant, and keep them from expressing any of their ideas or keep them from competing with men in the marketplace. I see that as the as the ground for all of this activity. Um, what do we do about it? Well, see the problem is we have all fallen asleep at the wheel. We've been given all this power and influence and we took for granted uh, that Roe v. Wade would always be uh, in place. But as we can see now, that is not true. That, that the watchman has to always stay on the wall. That's biblical speak for stay woke in the African-American community. You have to be watchful and you have to keep your ear um, to the ground. They used to say that because you could you could tell whether or not a train was coming if you if you bend your ear to the ground. And so the train has come and run over us <laughs> because we stopped paying attention. We took things for granted. And you know where. In a world where evil is allowed to persist, you cannot 
fail to be watchful. And that's about anything. And so when these men took upon themselves to pass laws regarding women, they don't, they don't even know what it takes to be a woman <laughs> or what's involved uh, in a woman's health care. You don't see any women being consulted. And now um, that term woman is loosely and it's very quite ambiguous. And, and we know that gender identity and, and, and with gender in period, just period is a socially constructed um, thing, right? And so w even that becomes murky. But I want to go back to what you said about essentially settled law. And, and settled law historically has been uh, like judicial opinions, I believe, that had this binding precedent um, that, that really gave us this idea of um, substantive and permanent, permanent, that if it's settled law, there's no way that it will ever, like the disputes, it's over. It's done. We don't have to rehash it again. But what we realized is that set of law is as, is as ambiguous as gender. And it depends on who's in power that will overturn what had been settled law. Case in point, Roe v. Wade. I think the first time there was something, um, um, I maybe Madison and Marlboro or something where Congress was not given the power to overturn settled law. Now, Congress won't even play around with settled law, but the judicial branch of the government, which is the Supreme Court, have no problems with cases are brought forward, which should be unnerving to all of us because in this federal republic democracy that is ours, we have these three branches of government that's supposed to offer checks and balances. So if one branch is skewed a little bit, say the executive branch would be the president, uh, the legislative branch would be Congress, and then the judicial branch is the Supreme Court. So if you got two that are wonkers, the third should offer this balance on this three-leg three table, right? But if all three of them are out of, out of kilter and then you have a, a, a nation that's kind of wonkers as well, then you have the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and a bunch of Oompa Loops walking around acting like they are, you know, the Oompa Loops are those little miniature beings, something to that Napoleon complex, right, who, who have to puff themselves up like they're all powerful, like they are El Shaddai, God Almighty. And it's troubling because if Roe v. Wade settled law can be overturned, and then we saw in recent history an act of Congress to be repealed and replaced, the Affordable Care Act, what in the world do we not think about the Voting Rights Act of 1965? I know I'm on a tangent, but that's supposed to be, that's not even settled law, that's an act. Settled law would be those cases that the Supreme Court voted on how about how about if we don't even stop with roe v wade what about brown versus the board of education that that was settled law too you know with john oliver 
in Topeka, Kansas. Well, everything is everything is up for grabs. That's what we need to understand. And it's scary. Everything's up. Everything's up for grabs, and it's scary if you recognize it. But if you're still asleep at the wheel, and you're still coasting along, thinking that in the United States of America certain things can't happen, then you will be. You will. You are in for a rude awakening. What will it take to wake us up? Because whenever you get enough people to agree to something, it can happen. And that's anything. If you get the critical mass of whatever population you're a part of to agree on certain things, it will happen. So I will. And so again, again, we have to we have to pay attention, and we have to be proactive in other words we need to say something do something before this stuff starts to happen go ahead I as they as they would say when before the shit hit the fan because it's well, it's gonna hit the fan and it's gonna hit a bunch of us in the eyes and and put it in the nose but here's here's something too as as we are standing or sitting at the sentinel standing watch one of the things that I find quite curious, Dr. Hayes, is this. Two things have happened that are pretty major, uh, in my opinion, from basic civics or sociological context, and that is the fact that um, we had um, an ouster of a U.S. congressperson, George Santos, and then we have on the Republican side um, for his shenanigans. And then we have we had a we had a U.S. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who is Palestinian, get censured uh, because of her standing with her people in Palestine. But then we had um, the Speaker of the House, the immediate past Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, resign at the end of this year. So not not including the censure of uh, Congresswoman, the Honorable Rashida Tlaib, but laying in the fact that we have uh, two vacancies in the House of Representatives. Right now, the GOP has a four-member majority. <laughs> two are gone, all right? Two will be gone. If by chance in 2024... Um, and, and so, and these two people are from Democratic states, New York and California. So, historically, the governor will appoint a replacement. So, we've got uh, the governor of New York and the governor of California to, repl to appoint replacements for these two. So, I'm opining that it will probably be a Democrat. So, now we've we narrowed the majority down to a Republican Two majority, even though the Speaker of the House uh, is is a Republican, but they have a slim majority, and we know that we have had um, party uh, line jumps. You know, both Republican and Democrats have jumped. Twenty re Democrats voted to censure uh, the Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. Twenty Democrats. Now we've had Republicans jump ship too to side with some of the things that are Democratic policy. So this is a bird walk, and I'm saying all this to say that if by chance neither President Biden or whoever the Republican candidate is, and it looks like, unfortunately, it might be 
the immediate past president as the contender uh, leading the GOP. But if neither of them gets the majority of the Electoral College votes, then it goes to Congress, okay? And if Congress has a thin majority, the U.S. Congress will cast the vote for the next president. Now we've got Mike Johnson, who is the majority leader, and then we have Hakeem Jeffries, who's the minority leader. Hakeem Jeffries is a black man, Lord Jesus. Anybody woke? We, we watching? Am I opining? Am I reading the tea leaves? Am I looking at this thing through a glass dimly? Am I acting like Paul says? I, I'm only prophesying in part, but is the full and perfect coming so that all these little pieces can come together? And thus faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I'm saying all that to say we can't discount God. Because no matter how much humans think that we can manipulate, shuck, jive, and even connive, at the end of the day, God Almighty has the very last say-so. The wicked will cease from troubling. We see that facts, historical facts plus present realities. And these tired, weary folks will be one day at rest. That's a prayer I got for the Palestinians, too, and the Ukrainians. All right, Dr. Hayes, I'm tired of preaching. And, you know, and it goes on and on and on uh, because that is the human predicament that there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes and upheavals all over the place. In other words, all of these things are natural for this environment. And at whatever appointed time, God only knows. You may have a divine intervention until that time occurs. We have been left in charge. I don't care how you how you slice it. The responsibility for what happens in our world is is squarely upon our shoulders. Um, and that is not to say that God is not present, but God is present in us. And so. The activity that goes on in the world is one that is so conglomerate between spiritual and flesh till you can hardly tell where one ends and the other begins. So what am I saying? I'm saying all of this is a mystery, but you have been given today. And your purview is now. And the question becomes, what will you do on today with your now? And if it's nothing more than a good thought, at least we should be consciously thinking about the good that can happen in the world and the good that can happen as a result of, of our presence in the world, because our presence is powerful and our voice is 
powerful. And our vote is powerful. So that in the places where we have influence, we need to take it seriously and use it with consciousness of purpose so that we can convince others of what is right and true and good. In this season of hopefulness, where we remember a time when the world, who, the people who sat in darkness were promised a great light. Those of us who sit in darkness know that the light will shine and that we can be the purveyors of light in the, in the midst of wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we go to church, we ought to be consciously prepared to shed light so that the world will not be left in utter darkness. And that's, that's the end of my, <laughs> whatever you call it. But that's what I believe and that's what I think and that's what I feel. Well, Dr. Hayes, thank you for always bringing us back to this essence of hope. And what will we do on today with our now? How powerful that is for us. This is our present, as our presence. All right, until we meet again. It has been a privilege, a pleasure, and an honor to have you join in with us today. Remember that everything will be all right. Until we meet again, stay safe and well.